We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome back one of the sharpest critical minds working today. And a guest longtime listeners will remember hearing discuss Sofia Coppola's entire filmography with me way back in the first season of this show. I had such a fun and engaging conversation with the great Roxana Haddadi in that episode that it kind of inspired me to shape the podcast accordingly as a series devoted to these in-depth deep dives on topics that my guests are truly passionate about. A TV critic with Vulture who also writes about film and pop culture Previously, Roxana was film editor and critic with Pajiba, and her reviews, essays, recaps, and other writing have also been published by the AV Club, Polygon, RogerEbert.com, the LA Times, Crooked Marquee, The Playlist, Fox Digital, GQ, and Inverse. Roxana, it is so good having you back. How are you doing and how's summer treating you so far? I am so excited to be back, Jen. I'm very embarrassed by that. Although I provided you with that intro, I was listening to it and I was like, she thinks she's a big deal and she's not. That's embarrassing. You are that a very big reset. deal. You have no, Jen, leather bound books. You are no, a big deal. No, Jen, these are untruths. <laughs> but my summer has been going good. I think it's like a million degrees outside here in Maryland. So I've been doing a lot of sitting. That's been going really well. A lot of okay. inside activity. And, uh, you know, I rewatched some of the thing that we're going to talk about today. And that was that was nice. I enjoyed that. Yeah. What about you? What have I've you watched this summer? I've been mm-hmm. rewatching The Americans as well. But mm-hmm. I'm hibernating too. I'm in Phoenix. So mm-hmm. it hit 115 degrees over the weekend. And we had some humidity with it because it's monsoon season. So we had storms. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of the time of year to just stay inside the house. It's our winter, essentially winter. We can go and do things mm-hmm. and that's not how it works in other places. So just, you know, watch some good TV. And I also saw that recently you did a really cool piece on the bear. 
You want to tell oh, us about yes. that? Which Thank is one so of my much. new obsessions. I love oh, that show. I'm so glad. Yes. I've done some various content on The Bear, which has been really exciting. It's one of those shows that I think just came out of nowhere. Every so often you get one of those that like there wasn't really marketing for it. No. There wasn't really a concerted push. But I think it benefited from the shockingly it benefited from the all episodes at once model in a way that has sustained interest. Like a lot of times with I Netflix, agree. you get a drop and it's like people stop talking about it a week later. Yep. But for some reason, the bear has continued bringing people to it, which I love. I, yeah, I've been able to interview some of the people involved. I interviewed Lionel Boyce, who plays Marcus. I interviewed Eben Mass. Backrack, which is such a fascinating name. I love that yeah, name. Yeah, I uh, love he, him as a performer. My God. Yes, he plays Richie. And yes, I did a long talk with Jeremy Allen White, which wow. was very exciting. And then the last thing I did, which I hope it publishes this week's or maybe next week, sometime hopefully in late July, early August, is I did like a behind the scenes process piece on the seventh episode, the like one take seventh oh, yeah. episode. And I, it was the just freak so. Out one. Yeah. Yes. The so Cassavetes episode. Yes. Exactly. Yes. The like straight out of the 70s. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's pissed off and yelling. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, for the most part, I have a very like give and take relationship with Twitter because mm-hmm. like most of it is really bad, but some of it is great. Like we met yeah, on Twitter. Exactly. This is a connection that was built on that hell site. But <laughs> as an example, I saw someone excerpt like, 20 seconds of them yelling yes. at each other on Twitter mm-hmm. and it went viral as like how dare people watch this show and it's like why is that our media literacy I know <laughs> context people Come yes yeah. yes yeah so yes I really enjoyed that I'm so glad you've enjoyed it what has connected with you about it what have you liked you know the whole thing I actually lived in the Chicago suburbs when I was little mm-hmm. so I loved that um the Basically, the family, the dysfunction, uh, the high pressure stakes, the, you know, secrets. I'm a big sucker for character actors. You have all these people um, working together. It just, it felt kind of retro. I love Mm -hmm. sort of an underdog um, idea. I just, yeah, there was something about it. Also, the music, which kind of links to the Americans like the best needle drops not obvious ones and used very deftly I thought Mm -hmm. I completely agree I mean I think it's it's been really interesting to see something that feels very fully realized and we were sort of talking about this in our discussions about TV at Vulture it's like I feel like you and I grew up with like 22 24 episode seasons of TV Yes. which sometimes were split into like two like mini halves. Yep. And like those seasons would sort of shift depending on whether the writers were like reading coverage about the show or like sort of incorporating feedback beforehand. You sort of got the sense that like certain shows might change narrative based on what people thought midway through a season. Yes. Whereas with these like mini series or like shorter drops you are just getting one fully realized non-tweakable thing yeah and when that thing comes out like so self-assured and like decisive as the bear I think if that's what you like like you're gonna really like 
know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you are really going to gravitate to this whole like family addiction, obsession, trauma yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to season two. I am hoping Me that too. it arrives. I, I don't want to say I'm hoping it arrives sooner rather than later because I don't want them to like Rush speed it, it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have it be bad. But just whenever it chooses to arrive, I will watch it. <laughs> Me too. I think FX really has just an eye for quality. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be talking about an FX series here. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think they're rivaling almost HBO Max for mm-hmm. as far as really good shows. Really. Yeah. And I, I feel like when you look back at like the history of FX, probably the first like prestige TV show I ever watched was The Shield. Yeah. which was like an early sort of anti-hero. I think this year is the 20th anniversary. It was one of those like early anti-hero, like no, the cops are bad, actually. <laughs> type of TV shows. Very bold. And, yeah. yeah. And like since then, I do feel like I agree with you. It's like, I think FX, I don't necessarily want to say that it takes like bigger risks, but sometimes it feels more curated. And like yes. the selection is just like, more narrow in an interesting way um and like something else that i really love is like reservation dogs is also fx yeah it's such an interesting show in terms of like yes it is about indigenous representation but it's also just sort of like a goofy coming of age comedy Mm -hmm. and it's another one of those things where it just feels very formed by the time we're watching it and i really have respected and enjoyed that yeah, there's been so much good TV on that network. Mm-hmm. You know, Justified, I know, is another one of both of our favorites. Mm-hmm. They've had um, mm-hmm. Terriers, Mr. In-Between, You're the Worst. Uh, just, mm-hmm. it's a very creative, risk-taking network. I know mm-hmm. we don't want to say, like, they're the only ones, because there's sure. several AMC, you know, there's several yeah. networks out there. But yes. And I know as far as other things you're working on, you did a piece recently on sitcoms. Yes, I did a piece on like the working class sitcom and sort of how the sitcom like it is not to say an old medium, but it's like a many decades old medium. It has had ebbs and flows in terms of what kind of issues get featured in that format. True. Um, and sort of what I wrote about is, you know, I would say maybe for the past like 15 or 20 years, it has felt a little bit like the sitcom format has sort of uh, like indulged the privileged or like elite characters. Like you have artistic elite characters like in 30 Rock or like Schitt's mm-hmm. Creek or the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, or in general, you just have sort of like financially well-off characters, True. like Modern Family, or again, 30 Rock, yeah. <laughs> or Hacks, you know? So like yes. sort of what I wrote about was this sort of upswing in series that are a little bit more cynical about the American dream and about upward mobility and sort of what those shows are tapping into right now in a moment where like inflation is very high yeah things are not great (laughs) and so yeah and so I sort of wrote about um there are four series I wrote about the aforementioned reservation dogs I wrote about a couple of series that are on 
Peacock. Uh, one of them is Killing It with Craig Robinson. The okay. other is called Bust Down. And unfortunately, one of the stars of that show, comedian and actor Jack Knight, died by suicide a couple of weeks ago. So I think oh, they're unsure about whether so a second season. Yeah, I think they're yeah. unsure about whether a second season could happen. But the first season is very good. And then the last show I wrote about was Southside, also set in Chicago and uh-huh. on HBO Max. And so I think I sort of linked together how all of these series are sort of um, a little bit more standoffish with this idea that hard work will ensure that you get ahead. Yeah. Uh, sort of presenting that as the fantasy that it is. Uh, and I have really liked those. I mean, again, if you are stuck in a billion degree summer yeah (laughs) those are some nice comedies to binge mostly between like six eight ten episodes and uh, very watchable yeah yeah because people listening are going to be fans of tv so they're going to want to look for new stuff and for sure that's wonderful i will link to that article make sure you send me uh, that as well And you're also going to be debuting something that you're absolutely perfect for off air. I told Roxana, like I was ready to start a petition online that she needed to be the one to do this. And so I'm so proud and excited that she is. Roxana is writing the essay for the Criterion release of my favorite film the year it came out. I know it was hers, Sound of Metal. What do you want to tell us about that? I, you know, I don't even know what I want to say. I, I still can't really believe it. Thank you. I still really can't believe that it happened. It feels incredibly surreal, but it is such an honor. I and mean, I yes. think both of us love that movie so much just for being very challenging and uncompromising thematically, yeah. but coming from this place of like deep empathy and attempting to understand like mm-hmm. how our bodies can transform and sort yes. of what is the what happens to you when that happens like how do you sort yeah. of work through that or reconcile that mm-hmm. um and I just I you know I really hope that people enjoy it I hope people watch the movie and you know I I can't say much more about it because it makes me like very emotional the movie makes me oh, very emotional I'm but, uh, so excited everyone like pre-order yes. yes yes pre-order that would be awesome no, that would yeah. be great yeah and that's coming in September yes. Right? yes okay oh can't wait for that well we had several ideas when it came to selecting a topic for today's reunion episode mm-hmm. at one point we thought mothers on film the Almodovar's moms Mm-hmm. But when I started getting requests from listeners to cover more television, I began thinking of a series that I loved that I'd been meaning to revisit over the summer. And FX's The Americans jumped back into my mind as one of the greatest television shows of the 2010s, along with AMC's Halt and Catch Fire, which mm-hmm. I did an episode on last fall with co-creator and co-writer Christopher Cantwell. Remembering your love for The Americans as well, both just in our own exchanges on social media over the years, as well as your own background recapping mm-hmm. the series professionally for your outlet, I pitched it to you and was so pleased when you said, It was indeed something you were ready to discuss. I should probably apologize for giving you such a massive undertaking. (laughs) 
the series, which <laughs> launched in 2013, ran for six seasons. And yeah. four years ago in 2018, after count them, 75 episodes. But it's such a richly engrossing, highly binge-worthy series. And I loved getting lost once again in this world of spies in the Cold War era of the 1980s. Created by a former CIA agent, Joe Weisberg, the series set in the Washington, D.C. and or Virginia area of the first part of that decade chronicles two Soviet KGB operatives played by Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese, who pose as married American travel agents raising their two teenagers in the suburbs. Following Russell and Reese's Elizabeth and Philip Jennings as they conduct their work blackmailing, seducing, killing, and manipulating others in secret and often in cool disguises. The two deal with the balance of work, life, marriage, and family stress, which is challenged at the beginning of the show when they befriend their neighbor, Stan Beeman, played by Noah Emmerich, who they learn is an FBI agent whose specialty is counterterrorism. Also, <laughs> just so happens. Yes. Yeah, it's just a weird coincidence that he I moved know, in across right? the street. Right it's across crazy. the street. Yes. Yeah. Also working in the Russian equivalent or counterpart to the FBI in the form of the Residentura and all of the operatives there as well, it grows even more highly complex as it continues. There are so many ways we can go about covering this series, but I think the best would be to perhaps start with a question of what you think of it overall. So Roxana, why don't you tell me about your relationship with the Americans? Did you watch from the beginning? Or how did it first cross your path and begin to weave its spell? Oh my gosh, this is, you know, I knew this question was coming and yet even still, I was like, this is, this is <laughs> going to take me back. Um, I am pretty sure that I started watching it while it was airing. Okay. Um, because sort of at we, as we discussed, like I had this sense that like, FX was good, right? Like we knew FX yeah. was good by 2013 when it started airing. Uh, and in 2013, I was in grad school, um, okay. like in January when it premiered. So I'm pretty sure that it was either a night that I didn't have class or I like DVR'd it, <laughs> but I know that I was watching it somehow. Yeah. Um, and I think like probably the first immediate thing that will draw you in is just the confidence of the pilot from the needle drops. I mean, from like, Oh my God. Fleetwood yeah. Max Tusk being used perfectly. So you know, yeah, what a weird so song to use and it's just perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a lot of that. I also think from that first episode, there was the sense of how wonderfully cast Carrie and Matthew were mm -hmm. together and how much sort of friction they had already brought to their portrayal of this married couple that isn't really in love with each other. Honestly, not at all. They were assigned no. to one another. And yes, they have two children and they work together, but it's not romantic exactly yeah they're um, colleagues 
Yep. They're colleagues. Exactly. They're like work friends. <laughs> yes. But they're also like, you know, spying on each other and writing reports yes. about each other. And yeah, yes. it's a little antagonistic. Yes. Yep. Yes. So that first episode sets up so much that you need to know sort of about their differing priorities as well. Yes. And their differing levels of loyalty to the quote unquote mission and to like the Soviets in general. And that is something that will continue on throughout the series. We sort of see them ebb and flow a little bit in terms yeah. of who is the true believer and who isn't the true believer. Um, and I also just think that's something that probably made me very curious in that first episode is I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, it's so like the FBI Asian guy is their neighbor. Surely he'll figure it out sooner. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. It drove me nuts. Especially on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. It's like, I love Stan Beeman and I love the Noah Emmerich, you know, I love the performance and you're mm-hmm. just like, come on, Stan, are you that? Like, come on. Yeah. Yes. And, and of course, obviously like the triumph of the show is that at least for me, I was like, Stan, like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, yeah. how have you not figured it out? But then on the flip, I'm like, oh, please don't figure it out. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you're like, why am I rooting against? Yeah, yes. against this. It makes yes. you question your loyalties. I love also, I mean, it does drive you nuts. Like this, mm-hmm. I made a joke when I was watching it. Like this time it really drives home that maybe Stan isn't the best FBI agent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why did you get reassigned to Stan? I know, but it is it is kind of a truism though, of like, mm-hmm. do you really know your neighbors? Yeah. And um, yes. you might think you do, but there are things that, you know, I make a joke all the time here in Phoenix. Like I couldn't pick my neighbors out of a lineup. I think I only mm-hmm. could recognize maybe three at a grocery store. Everybody mm-hmm. just basically keeps to themselves. Yeah. And even think- though th- these people become Stan's closest friends, there are things he will never know. There are things he will never know. And I also think to further that idea, how much do you really know anyone in your life? True. Right. I mean, so yeah, like look at Martha. And also just so much about Elizabeth and Philip is they start from these sort of oppositional stances where they don't really know what the other one wants or desires or truly believes. And then we watch that change over six seasons but even by the end I think there is this sense of like you might love someone without really knowing them I mean it's not the great like Miller's Crossing quote like how much do we really know each other like not that well um so I think there's that sense there's like how much do you really know the person that you're in love with and the person that you're married to how much do you really know your parents or your children I like, know that is a fascinating journey, especially mm-hmm. for the page character. Mm-hmm. Watching it this time, I was really impressed and just uh, by the arc and the performance of Holly mm-hmm. Taylor, like mm-hmm. right from age 13 to I think by the end of it, she was 20. I and, think, yeah, uh, it's incredible. young. I mean, very yeah. much like uh, Kieran and Shipka in Mad Men, where yes, it's like they go through it they go through it and you're like, you are really carrying this arc. I mean, I don't, yeah. I, I'm not trying to complain about child actors because I think it's a no, but. grueling industry, <laughs> but sometimes with a child actor, you can sort of tell that they've like just memorized the line they're and they're sort of on. just, yep. yeah. And they're sort of just like waiting for their opportunity to say the line. Yep. Um, 
And I don't think that either Kiernan or the actress who plays Paige or the actor who plays Henry. No, um, I think they feel too. they feel very established within mm-hmm. this world. And like everything that they are being asked to say is a representation of the character and they're living up to it, right? They're like drawing you in. And something that is so funny is I rewatched the pilot and the series finale today. Mm -hmm. And again, as we're talking about like how that pilot sets up so many things that continue over time, Paige from the beginning is like, dad, why do you have to meet with your clients at such weird hours? I know these travel (laughs) agency emergencies, like, you know, (laughs) that's the other thing, Stan, how many travel agents have to rush off at two in the morning? Come on. Yeah. Like, are your clients that serious? Yeah. Like, really? Uh, And the other thing that's so great in that pilot is, like, Stan does immediately suspect them. He does. Right? He, like, breaks breaks into their garage. Yep. Looks in those trash cans. Yeah. Yep. Looks around. And Phil is just waiting with a gun. Right? Like, the stakes are immediate from the beginning. So, yeah. So, I think... I think I started watching it when it, it was airing. I remember being very into it. It was airing at the same time as Mad Men was. And I think I had a sense that they were very similar in their aims mm-hmm. in terms of being both period pieces that were trying to capture something about America, whether that yeah. was in terms of like iconography or belief system or just like how people live day to day. Like I felt like although Mad Men was more of a sort of like dialogue driven show than an action driven show, it felt like they were attempting to make the same sort of like deep character arcs long-term storytelling and like in true tv fashion as we've seen with like the wire the sopranos justified like all these great like longer form Mm -hmm. narratives you're getting the sense that like there might be just one nugget or one piece of dialogue or one little character moment in each episode but they're all like accumulating towards something greater and towards the final end game. And I think you really get that sense. If you were to rewatch the Americans and watch that pilot and you're sort of seeing how is Elizabeth talking about her children here in the beginning versus how she then talks about them at the end, Mm -hmm. there's this very interesting transformation that happens that you can track and it all starts in that first introduction to the character um but it was so interesting watching the pilot and the season the series finale in the same day and sort of seeing like oh elizabeth went from a all the way to z <laughs> and so yes. Philip. they yeah. almost completely switch and it's mm-hmm. it's so interesting and such a testament to those actors who, like, of course fell in love, right? Like, I yeah. think acting is so interesting because you do have to summon these, like, extremes of feeling mm-hmm. for someone who might be a stranger. But I remember when they confirmed they were together, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. 
that makes sense. <laughs> I know. I guess they met earlier at a kickball game like 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I think Matthew mm-hmm. Reese had said, and he had a crush on her and tried to impress her and also left her a drunken uh, voicemail message and she never called back. So he just kind of blew his chance. And then, yeah, eventually uh, they came together. He likes to joke that in the first few seasons of The Americans, he wasn't that good. That's why they didn't get the Emmy nominations because <laughs> he was so nervous. And mm-hmm. he was like holding back and not taking risks because he, you know, liked her too much and was just trying to impress her and was too nervous. And I think that's really cute. But yeah, it is really cool to watch a pilot and a finale back to back. I did mm-hmm. that uh, when I was doing the Halt and Catch Fire oh, um, prep nice. work because a lot of times the showrunners or mm-hmm. the writers will try to pay off on things that they establish. I know Sopranos did that as well. Yeah. I think Mad Men, you know, mm-hmm. little things that are in there. But for the Americans, I'm guessing it would have been, I didn't do it this time, but very, mm-hmm. very jarring to see that. And I think it's also interesting because it pays off on stands being a little wary and a little um, curious, something, you know, uh, tripped his wires and his antennas up about them. And then it pays off to where it is. Something I also liked in the first season, we get it a little bit with Paige being very protective of Henry later on, but mm-hmm. I love that episode where the kids go to the movies and then have to find their way home and they take a ride and it goes bad and mm-hmm. they have to like, Uh, use their wits and kind of Mm -hmm. come together and, you know, protect one another. And it's sort of like a mirror image of the secrets that they're keeping, which you do with Mm -hmm. your siblings in childhood versus your parents who are doing that. And both of those units, the children and the parents in that same episode are kind of strengthening in that one um, episode. It's so good. It's so good. And I feel like the best series about like teenagers do that kind of mirroring because everybody has secrets right I mean you don't know like the interiority of people's relationships but as soon as you started talking about that episode I thought of like freaks and geeks which also did similar like the teens have secrets and things that Mm -hmm. they're sharing together and so do their parents and there's that sort of like you know, like you're on parallel tracks, like you're never really going to understand each other, but you can see that, okay, well, like everybody has things that they share. Everybody has things that they obfuscate. Um, Or of course, like the, I, once upon a time, I would have said the perfect Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now I will say (laughs) my still beloved, but I loved it too. Yes. Increasingly revealed to be problematic. Buffy yeah, the Vampire a problematic Slayer. fave. It's fine. problematic fave. Yes. yes. But of course, the episode where like the chocolate bars turn the adults back into teenagers. Oh, one of and, my favorites. Yeah. And Buffy is so aghast by her mother and Giles like flirting and yeah. sleeping together and all that jazz. And that's that same sort of like, we can't go back in time and mm-hmm. see who our parents or our elders were. But every so often, they'll show that to you. Mm-hmm. And you might realize that you've been mimicking it without even really realizing it. Yep. And I sort of loved Paige and Henry being forced to like work together, as you mentioned, in an evocation of what their parents are doing, potentially without realizing it, 
until years later when Paige probably does realize mm-hmm. <laughs> and will never tell Henry. I mean, I think that's one of the most interesting sibling relationships on TV to have one who knows yeah. not not everything because Philip and Elizabeth are not going to tell her everything. Even I think at the very end, they're still sort of lying to her a little bit mm-hmm. about the extremes required for this work. But for her to be that middle person between her parents and between like sort of blissfully ignorant Henry. Yeah. Is such an interesting place to be. Again, I, I'm sorry to continue to make this comparison, but sort of like Sally on Mad Men, like Sally has this position. I'm liking of knowing that link. I didn't even think about it, but it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Like she is able to see things about Betty and about Don that her younger brothers don't. And I think of that great, interaction I think it might honestly be the final season where Sally like blows up at dawn and is like I'm like both of you and I hate it like I don't Mm want to be anything like you and Don is like but you are and now it's your decision to try to decide like how much do you want to be like us and how much do you want to be your own person yeah that's such a like you know I think we're both (laughs) we are both older than Sally and Paige age when we're watching this but it's sort of really interesting and compelling to think like what if your parents had that blunt talk with you about like it's your choice to decide who you want to be yeah I wonder what that would have been like I you know I can't even imagine it it's that moment when you start to see your parents as human beings so it's like universal stakes but Mm -hmm. in a whole different ballgame especially on the Americans when um, you know, she's having to deal with questions of patriotism mm-hmm. and right and wrong for what she's going to school. And, you know, back in the 80s, you had to say the Pledge of Allegiance every day. I remember doing it. And, I remember doing uh, that in the 90s yes. and the aughts. Yep. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, too. And mm-hmm. so and then going home and realizing at first, you know, you think my parents are doing something bad. And then she comes around on it, which i found very fascinating in interviews with Joe Weisberg because mm-hmm. he said that unlike Breaking Bad or some of these other shows where you have genuine anti-heroes, mm-hmm. he didn't really want people to consider um, you know, Philip and Elizabeth to be anti-heroes or to be villains because in their mind they are heroes. They believe yeah. that what they're doing is right. They are, you know, if we were in Russia, if it was like flipped, we mm-hmm. would be rooting for Philip and Elizabeth, the Americans in Russia who are infiltrating. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it just makes the whole show very interesting. And watching it this time, I just, my heart went out to Paige and I was thinking what a tremendous performance and how they start setting it up just yeah. right away in that pilot. And it, it just keeps um, building. Yeah. yeah. The anti-hero point is so interesting too. My mind immediately went to two places when you said that. The first was that For All Mankind, which is airing also right now on Apple TV Plus. Um, and I'm hoping that you're watching it because I feel like it fits that same sort of thing that the Americans does, which is on the one hand, it does not pretend that either the Soviets or the Americans were not doing 
questionable things, right? Like it doesn't protect, like there was torture happening. There was threats happening. There was blackmail happening. There was imprisonment happening. Like all of that is depicted on both of these shows. But also, of course, the wild thing that the Americans does and for all mankind also does is it allows you to consider like, but there were parts of the Soviet ideology that formed characteristics and personalities that we can still find admirable and respectable. And I think for all mankind does that really well. And it has so many Americans cast members in it, like Lev Gorn and Ren Schmidt and just all these people. You absolutely should. I think you would really enjoy it. But so my mind went there. And then when it went there, I thought of Lev Gorn who plays Arcady on the Americans. And he is sort of like the head of the resident Chura. And so he also could be in some readings a villain character because yeah. he is the head of like their spy office but also sort of their embassy like he also is standing within this like dynamic duality sort of space mm-hmm. he's um, gad essentially exactly yes he's gad and, but at the same time it's like we understand the terrible choices that Arcady has to make also, especially in the final season when he sort of becomes involved in like a different kind of mission than the Jennings Mm -hmm. are. If I'm remembering correctly, it's like their missions sort of diverge. And so then you have to think like, well, who is right? Like Mm -hmm. whose version of Soviet patriotism is correct? And I always loved that the show gave you a lot of different options to consider in the amount of like loyalty and black and white thinking that these characters are allowed. So it's like you start from this place of ideology and then you just make it more and more and more personal with each character. And I just, I just love it very much, Jen. (laughs) Yeah, I would say the other thing that really surprised me watching it was just how invested you get in the lives of the people at the residentura, like Nina. Oh my god, God, Nina arc. Like if you tell me Nina and Martha, I might just start crying. Like some of the women on this show, but also Oleg. Uh, I I found him to be just such a great character, and Costa Ronan is incredible. You know, at first he seems like this brash, cocky guy who just got the job because of his dad and his connections. He's a Nepo baby. Yes. And then, you know, you do discover his heart and Mm -hmm. just how much he's sort of a flip side to Stan, which Mm -hmm. uh, I love their dynamic as the series continues, especially because they are two people who are in love with this. Nina. same yep. woman, Nina. Yep. And what they do behind the scenes and together to try to help her. And it's just so devastating. And, um, you know, and then that's contrasted with what's going on uh, for an American worker, not mm-hmm. Nina, but with Martha, who mm-hmm. I think is the character when I said, what should we talk about? Martha kept coming up and up and up. Martha, Martha. Yeah. You yes. can't not think of her. I don't even know how to talk about Martha. Oh my I mean, God. I, okay, whatever. Let's try. I mean, I think so, like, again, if we're going to continue like this madman comparison, sometimes I feel like Martha reminds me of Sal because I think Sal was someone who also was living sort of a 
secret life. Mm -hmm. He was not out. You couldn't be out mid-century and like do the job that he was doing. So he, you know, like whom he loved was always going to be a bit of a liability to him. Mm -hmm. And he also was sort of discarded ultimately like Sal just disappears from the story and we never see him again and on the one hand I always thought that was sort of a very professionally believable thing that Mad Men did like sadly you might work with somebody in an office for like a decade and then they leave and like do you really keep in touch with them like probably maybe at first and then it's yeah it dwindles dissipates right but ultimately there is like this air of tragedy around Mm -hmm. what happens with Sal in the sense that like he was a victim of time yeah. and circumstance and like belief systems that were bigger than he was. And Martha is a victim of all those things too, but she's also yeah. a victim of Philip. Like it might be the worst thing that happens in this show that includes a ton of murder, right? Like I if think we're going it is. Season, yeah. Yeah. Like if we're going season by season, like I think is it season two or season three where it's like, the son of the KGB agents who like kills them. Oh my God. Yes. That was horrible. Yeah. yeah like that I think was that awful. might've been season two, three. I don't know. I yeah. So yeah. And then of course you have what happens to Nina. Yes. Nina who is sort of forced to become a triple agent, right? Like she works for Rose Ventura. She's having an affair with Oleg. She's also having an affair with Stan. She's trying to play both of them off each other. She ends up going to a Soviet prison and she just has this like horrifyingly mundane death. Yeah. And it haunts both men and it's awful. It is. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like eventually Nina sort of like floats out of the story yeah she's resigned to it yeah exactly she sort of accepted that like unfortunately this is going to be what happens you have gad's awful death oh my god i can't (laughs) it's so crazy how that happens bad okay so you have all of these deaths right i mean we have this show where people baker oh my god yes or the um, guy when they're going to get the sample and then they yes. have to kill their, oh my God. There yes. are so many, what we're saying is hopefully people aren't listening to this that haven't seen the series, but this show really did make you question like who was next. And, um, um, Elizabeth's lover, right? The guy that oh she's God. in love with in the beginning because she's not in love with Philip. Gregory, really Derek yes. Luke is yes. so good. Yes. So yeah, series. so like, so you have all of these like horrible Amador, right? Love Amador concerned. dies. Yeah. So yeah. everyone. Okay. So like all of that's happening. Yeah. But under that, with that backdrop in mind, I want you to talk about what makes Martha's death especially horrible for you. I want us to take turns. <laughs> Martha doesn't die. But don't you feel like she does? Oh, emotionally and yes, yeah, spiritually. Yes. 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 By the time she gets on the plane, she is so in shock. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is harrowing. I've read interviews with Allison Wright, who is incredible on this show. Amazing. Truly. And uh, she talks about it being like an every woman. 
And kind of the worst thing that can happen is somebody betrays you. And while I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, what is the worst? Nothing like Philip, but I did in my 20s, I got involved with a colleague and I found out he had a secret fiance that he did not tell me about. And I found out because it was all of a sudden we were going to go to a screening the next day. And, oh, just so you know, my fiance will be there. And it's like, where did that come from? And what was worse about that is I had other colleagues who would have probably known he had a fiance, maybe didn't even think to say anything. And so when I was watching at this time, I'm like, now that sucked, but at least it wasn't, I have to go to Russia now and I have to um, adopt a kid. And because when you watch Martha, um, she is a lonely woman in her thirties who's preyed upon. She's um, belittled for her appearance. I mean, she's cute. You think she would have been a really good um, girlfriend with, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Stan's coworker there who had a mm-hmm. little bit of a crush on her. Like mm-hmm. they would have been a great couple, but Philip mm-hmm. kind of robbed her of that. Although one thing I think would be interesting to talk about, I do feel like Philip loved her. And um, I do think he loved yes, her. Yes. It's different think, than Elizabeth, but it's there. Yes. I think that he, and I think, oh God, there's so much to talk about with Martha. Okay. Okay. Let me try no. to organize my thoughts. Um, I saw a I, tweet over the weekend that's, that said, I still think about Martha on the Americans like every day. And yes. it was getting so many likes and uh, yes. Yes. yeah, you yes. do. Yes. Okay. So let me try to organize this. Yes. I, I think that Martha, just from a pure like storytelling perspective, I think probably Martha is like the best example of what we were talking about earlier in terms of like incremental narrative choices that eventually just build into this like volcanic eruption, right? Mm -hmm. Because from the beginning when you meet Martha, and you meet her in the pilot again these like seeds are sown very early but like you said it's weird like people think that she's like hideously pathetic and unattractive and she just seems like a nice lady she's so nice yes (laughs) who doesn't like who hasn't you know like she hasn't found the right guy yet but Mm -hmm. she's still holding out hope for that and so you have like her first interaction with philip who is posing posing as like an internal investigator, right? Yeah, that's like how he gets, yeah, mm-hmm. that's how he gets access to her. And then just like episode ever episode, she continues to be his assignment, but she provides something for him that Elizabeth does not. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that he is vulnerable and raw with her yeah. in a way that he probably feels that he cannot be with Elizabeth, who is so mission oriented and uh Mm -hmm. very like strong and sure of herself in a way that martha is not i think he feels really like an american man like providing for the woman he loves when he's with martha yeah she she is is a fantasy yeah like she is that fantasy for him and so much of the early seasons are philip trying to like reconcile with is America better? Because yes. like, look at this like beautiful 
single family home that he has mm-hmm. in America. Like look and at the sports car. Yeah. The sports car that he has in America. And like the clothes he can wear in America. And yeah. the TV and the McDonald's and like all this stuff. Like it all accumulates. So he sort of falls under that like capitalist masculinity of the spell. 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was big. And Martha is part of that. And so I agree with you. I think that he did love her. I mean I think it becomes a question of like how much did he love her because of who she was and how much did he love her because of what she represented? I think we could probably argue yeah, that like I all agree with you. day. Because um, that's part of any attraction is seeing mm-hmm. yourself through their eyes. And, you know, mm-hmm. she's looking at him like he's so important and mm-hmm. it's a selfless love. It's not judgmental. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's not going to write a report or kick the shit out of them basically like Uh, what she wants from him is just him yes and I think what Elizabeth would want is like a comrade an ally and both of those things are Are valid fine are valid if the other person is willing to give that to you yeah um but Philip wants to give that to both of them and it's not possible but again it's sort of the exact same thing as Elizabeth and Gregory like you see yes. that yeah. Elizabeth loved Gregory because oh, he was deeply because deeply mm-hmm. he was committed to the mission. She, he was her first love. Philip was not. No. And so I think that I, that, yeah. that tension is so interesting. Also, it's like, I think someone could make the argument, like, did Elizabeth settle for Philip? Because Gregory I, had I think, this. Yeah. I horrible do. tragic death you know what I mean it's like yes it's so interesting like all the relationships on the show and again you see this sacrificing God, this is, for love all yeah of them. And Gregory so, Nina yes because I was gonna say like this show is so stupid good that you could yes. also look at like the Nina triangle because again yeah. Oleg is a version of like a Soviet life that she probably yes. would have enjoyed duality there's so many triangles on this show there's so many triangles, but like Nina and Oleg would have had like a particular kind of status. Like yep. they're both residential employees. They're both elites as much as you can be within mm-hmm. the Soviet system. But then here is Stan and Stan could save her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, a different element. It's like Philip yeah. to Martha as Stan to Nina essentially. Mm-hmm. And also how that net seems great, but it might not be there to catch you. And mm-hmm. I was reading um, when I was doing research for this, mm-hmm. Alison Wright was talking about how her character actually kind of came from a real um, mission that spies would use secretaries there. I think it was yes. called like secretary or operation secretary. And she said what was horrifying in her research, and she finally had to stop reading, mm-hmm. uh, is when they would find out that they had been betrayed because all these little things are kind of doled out slowly over time. So you trust this Mm -hmm. person, they make you push a boundary, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 days in and then 30 Mm -hmm. days. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of rolled out. And she said, when the rug is pulled out from under you at the end there, Mm -hmm. um, within 24 hours of finding out most of these women committed suicide. And so, you know, so as you said, it is kind of like an emotional death. I mean, fortunately, we don't see Martha take that step. But when you talked about Gregory, too, when I was doing reading, uh, even the showrunners were saying Mm -hmm. Gregory was her soulmate. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, he's in the finale 
somebody mm-hmm. she's fantasizing about or thinking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone who for her probably provided a version of what Martha provided for Philip. I yes. think that Gregory made Elizabeth feel like an extreme version of her Soviet self. Like if Martha mm-hmm. was there to indulge Philip's like American affectations, yes. right? Then like Gregory was the flip side of that for Elizabeth and that I think that he affirmed for her, like, no, the Soviet way of life is valid. It is worthy. It is what we should be fighting for. And you should be willing to give everything for it. And there's this moment in the series finale where it's, I, I totally agree with you, Jen. Why are you listening to this if you didn't watch the show? Like, I know, I don't right? See you. It's like, <laughs> please don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. But there's this moment in the series finale where Paige, like, uh, had a crush on like a congressional intern or something yes. and her parents wanted her to like use him for information she sort of refuses to do it and I think if I'm remembering correctly Elizabeth does sleep with him Paige finds out and Paige like confronts her mother about yes. it and one of Carrie Russell's like many perfect line readings is Paige calls her a whore Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth is like a you don't know what you're talking about your father also does this like we don't care but like the specific line is she's like sex what was sex like we were working toward a mission and like Mm -hmm. who cares like what we had to do with our bodies to like attain the higher ideological purpose Mm -hmm. yeah it's like she doesn't care it's nothing it's a tool It's so utilitarian and so good because Mm -hmm. then it makes her relationship with Gregory, whom she imagines later on, she fantasizes about while they're on their way back. It it makes that almost the only thing in her life that did not have some sort of meaninglessness. Mm -hmm. Like she loved him purely. Yeah. She chose him. He wasn't given to her, basically. Mm -hmm. And like, she's probably never going to have that again. (laughs) Like, her and Philip love each other. Their real wedding ceremony is like very touching. Yeah. There's also. Don't you wonder at the end, like, when they're going back, you know, we'll get used to it. I mean, what if he runs into Martha? Like, what is going to happen there? I mean, oh, I thought that so all the time. Yeah. Yes. Because we see her at the incredibly bleak grocery store. Yes. Shopping for onions. And I, I, you know, I totally understand that everybody brought up Martha because, like, she just yeah. is a soul crusher. But I also think because, like, for us, she represents, like, every robbed opportunity. Sure. With without the finality of death which is like mm-hmm. a horrible thing i think to say yeah but like yeah. nina <sighs> at least she doesn't my my thing with nina is as horrifying as it is and it's so sad she knows it's coming and yes. she also thankfully doesn't see the gun behind her yes. i like that it is a surprise yes. it's horrifying and uh oh my gosh the what one thing you brought up is what is sex and what's interesting mm-hmm. with Carrie Russell's character in the first season, you find out she was raped yes. by her handler. First I episode mean, it's in the yes. pilot. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it right away? Yes. yes. And yeah. 
you know, they are trained to use sex to um, extract information and build relationships. Mm -hmm. And they do that throughout the series. And -hmm. we should probably talk about the way that sex is used because a lot of people criticize it or say Mm -hmm. it's too much, but there are different levels of what they're doing. But, you know, it does go back to in Russia, like later on with uh, Margot Martindale's characters, they talk mm-hmm. to Paige, sexual attitudes in Russia are different. I mean, mm-hmm. rape is rape. And we do think that that maybe traumatized uh, Carrie Russell's character more than she realizes, maybe until mm-hmm. Paige and her are um, jumped, I think mm-hmm. is when that starts to come out of maybe what she had repressed. And it mm-hmm. also shows why um, she might like to exert control so much, especially in even her sex scenes with uh, Philip. She is the one in control for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that like, I generally despise like rape as character. Oh God. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do think that something that it did here was there is that one instance of it, which is admittedly like, brutal and awful yeah but it puts such a like specificity on elizabeth's later actions it really does it that it is not sort of a generalized like oh yeah trauma you know it's it's not that sort of not going to be a hard drinking reporter out of town who was assaulted like she's not going to be that lady no yes it's not going to be like this free-floating specter that sort of follows her it's like it's important in that one moment it becomes Mm -hmm. an important thing for her and philip's relationship yeah overall i think what's more important like you said is this sort of continued reaffirmation of the soviet like your individual your individuality is important for the collective yeah and so i think what it does for her is like yes it was a horrible thing that happened to her she carries that anger with her and it shapes her but always on the other edge of that sword is like but who is the individual really and like what does my personhood matter when i am attempting something yeah for the greater good and so that's why i love the like what was sex like she truly does not care and it's such a good contrast with we haven't talked about religion at all but it's such a good contrast with pages sort of like puritanical evangelical yeah born again american christianness like i think page is on this search for meaning purpose and she's trying to find it in god which really is something i think for someone her age and i'll try to keep my own beliefs out of this i guess (laughs) but but really for someone her age it feels sort of intangible right like what experiences have page had that really put her closer to god right it's not something Mm -hmm. that i think she truly understands even when she starts doing the like volunteering like missionary work stuff i don't think she actually grasps it whereas we do see for elizabeth and philip who also are answering to sort of like a higher ideological authority 
and have a clear sense of purpose. We see how it's given their life structure and how everything they do is in service to it. So I also think it's just this really interesting contrast of like, what were people who were Americans in the 80s, yes, <laughs> like yeah. attempting what to find, we, you know, sex is bad versus yes. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Or you need to be ashamed of it. You know, her heartbreaking with Paige uh, relationship with Matthew, Stan Beeman's mm-hmm. son across mm-hmm. the street, who she had this like terrible crush on as you know, you do when you're younger, he's older and mm-hmm. you know, he's got a band. He's cool. He's cool. Yeah. And then she eventually gets to date him, but she has all this guilt because she knows, you know, like her parents, what their parents are. are on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're on opposite sides and mm-hmm. she's being pressured. And then sex starts to, you know, enter into it as they start mm-hmm. making out. And she has that line when they're going to break up, like, um, and he's so desperate to keep her. He says something, she says, like, all we do is make out. And poor Matthew is, we don't have to make out anymore. And it's just, it's so it's sad. So sad. Yes. Yeah, it's so sad. But again, it's like, yeah, like Paige is clearly looking for something. Yep. It's just a matter of what does that end up being? And the Jennings know this, right? Like they basically plot this out. Like they have a conversation I where know. they're like, clearly our daughter is like altruistic because she wants to help people what if we just teach her about that yeah how do we teach her how to wield that from a soviet point of view and like on the one hand that's awful and manipulative on the other hand if she really believes in it like who are we to judge her and the Americans was always yeah the americans was always walking that line like who are we to judge any of these people because we've also seen that stan and the fbi kill people yeah yes early on we see stan do something like yeah basically just commit murder Mm -hmm. another thing with uh looking for meaning uh, Mm -hmm. that was definitely big in the 80s started like the self-help well i think that really started in the 70s but we had the me decade and Mm -hmm. uh one of my friends joked the 80s was the me decade and the 90s was the why me decade but um i hey man i agree that's good yeah 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 uh what I was going to say with Philip, one thing I love on the show is the est portion. Mm-hmm. Like at first you mm-hmm. think it's kind of random. Like maybe mm-hmm. they're just doing this to give, and they admitted at first it was just to give Sandra, Stan Weeman's wife, something to do or to something do. more three-dimensional for her character. And then they thought, you know, Stan would probably try it, but he wouldn't buy it. But what if he brings Philip? And mm-hmm. I find it so fascinating that in his own way, and Philip is kind of the matriarch of the family. We haven't talked about that in the generals, yes. but he is, he has so much in common with Paige and their dynamic is so interesting. They're both searching for mm-hmm. who they are and what gives them meaning in life. I think and mm-hmm. it's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And that it's something that Elizabeth sort of laughs at. Yes. Right? She just so doesn't like, see the point. She doesn't what is see the sex? Point. What is, you know, purpose? Yeah. Yeah. That what isn't is your... for Russia. Yeah. Exactly. Like, what is your interiority? Like, who cares? Like, yeah. Elizabeth, in a certain way, does not care. No. And that is so interesting to see in, like you said, in a female character, in a mm-hmm. female character who I think we do consider resourceful and 
heroic and brave. Mm-hmm. I mean, she does a lot of stuff that is just insane in terms yeah. of what she's willing to pull off. Uh, it will always amaze me that Carrie Russell never won an Emmy. I don't really I understand crazy. how that happened. Mm-hmm. But something that's also really interesting in terms of like the meaning conversation. And I keep using interesting because it's true. This show I know is I've been saying that all hey, the time. Sorry. Too. It's good. Yeah. It's also fascinating and compelling. I mean, yes. let's just get all the synonyms it's gripping. out of the way. It's yes. gripping. It's great. <laughs> um, but something that I really love and that they do again throughout the series is they give Elizabeth these other Soviet women to sort of interact with and do a little bit of like compare and contrast yeah. to sort of flesh out the idea that it was not one like hegemonic ideology like everyone was sort of interpreting it differently even mm-hmm. within like the field of KGB operatives yeah. and i think that's where you get the really great supporting characters who primarily it's Margo Martindale who appears remarkable yeah I think what for like the back half of the season I don't quite remember when she was introduced but she becomes their handler Mm -hmm. and she is just such a counterpart to Elizabeth they almost immediately hate each other they're like, they're too similar the class they're too you know? similar and exactly. sometimes that has to do with gender because we're sort of trained you know another woman might take my spot or she's mm-hmm. jockeying for power and we already know also because of what happened to her but Carrie Russell needs that sense of control and that sense of power at all yes. times and doesn't yes. want to give it to another woman I think yes. even if she thinks she does The other thing um, we've talked about, you know, Martha and some of their Mm -hmm. interactions, the one that was super heartbreaking on the show was Young Hee, the Mary Kay saleswoman that she kind of has to buddy up with. And she does. She genuinely likes her. I I love that scene when they go to the movies and they're having so much fun. They like sneak into another movie and it, it goes beyond the cover at first it was I need help selling my Mary Kay and soon enough like she really bonds with her she's sort of an equivalent of Kimmy who mm-hmm. Philip has boy is that a creepy dynamic but yes, we should talk so. about it finish this yes. thought and then we should talk about it yes yeah. but with young he you do start to see for the first time um Elizabeth really caring about somebody and thinking probably the first time since Gregory, like, what am I doing a little bit? Yes. Yeah. It, it gives her that sense of reflection that Elizabeth, yeah. I think mostly refuses. It's not useful to her. No. Um, and that is sort of one of the sticking points of Paige is I think before we get that time jump, mm-hmm. when Paige is just sort of suspecting what her parents are doing, I seem to recall her asking a lot of questions that were like, how could you do this? And like, what do you think about it? And aren't you hurting people and all of this? And of course, like, they're never going to tell her the full truth. Oh, no. They're never going to do that. And also, it's not things that Elizabeth is interested in considering. Yeah, she doesn't want to reflect on it. She doesn't want to reflect on that. No. And it's like, do we see that a lot in the spy genre? Like I feel like 
probably, of course, the first person I'm thinking of is Bond. And I feel like the modern sort of like melancholy Bond is constantly going back over his regrets. Yes. Yeah. Right? He's completely haunted by his own Gregory, Vesper mm-hmm. Lind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas like with Elizabeth, like, yes, she thinks about Gregory and she misses him and clearly she loved him. But like, it's what happened to him is not going to stop her. Yeah. It's not going to be her like raison d'etre for everything yes. like it is yes. for Bond. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She it has to compartmentalize so many things. Mm-hmm. And I, I do find it also interesting that by the time we get to that final season you start mm-hmm. to see it is really affecting her her appearance she's on her. chain smoking she's like the first time we see her in season six she's like just after sleeping with this scuzzy guy in a motel mm-hmm. and she or hotel and mm-hmm. she cleaned up and as we see her i mean she just looks rough like gaunt yeah drawn yeah like she really looks and again just to go back to the beginning when she you know is wearing like these cute body suits yeah like adorably straightened hair yeah it's like it's a very like look at this like adorable beautiful spy yeah it's felicity in spy mode exactly and then by the end it's like dear god like look what it's done to you look what it's done to her it's like yes I think she truly believes like what's sex, who cares? Yeah. But she is still being forced into these situations over and over again. Yes. Um, and trying to not necessarily find meaning within them, because again, I don't think she really cares about that. But I think what's weighing on her more is like, this isn't progressing the way we sort of were told it would progress. Like the Cold War might be stalling out. And if so, like what happens to me and where do I go? And I think in the pilot episode, her and Philip have this conversation. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's Elizabeth who says we can never tell them. Like she'd never want the children to know Mm -hmm. what they do. And then by the end when Paige knows and she's sort of brought Paige into it and initially it was like well maybe this will be a bonding thing and we'll understand each other better by the end of it it's not that right it's just realizing that Paige is now going to be sort of stuck in the same cycle as her and Philip and that was something that Claudia that Margot Martindale's Claudia also pointed out to her it's like if you don't have the mission what do you have I remember there's this great line right where she's like if you don't have the mission what do you have like Philip and your children like who cares like yeah. Claudia it's so unimpressed it's like in heat you know barbecue and ball games like what is that yes yeah like who cares so yeah it's like it's so just multifaceted what they do to Elizabeth and how they have her grow and the same thing with Philip and so I think with the two core characters, you get all of these sort of little decisions and sacrifices and betrayals that weigh on them. And I guess that's a good way to talk about Kimmy. So Jen, oh my gosh. I really Kimmy. want you to talk about Kimmy. Okay. What are your thoughts on Kimmy? Oh my gosh. 
I have a lot of thoughts, mixed thoughts on Kimmy. I'm okay. somebody who started college at 16. Mm-hmm. And so I dated people who were older. Mm-hmm. Most of my friends were four or five years older. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people who I fell for somebody like right away in college, you know, you're 16, mm-hmm. you're cocky. And mm-hmm. so you're like, well, who's the handsomest guy in class? And I, I assumed he was maybe 18, 19, 20. Okay. He was 25. Oh, and he thought I was 18 and we didn't like nothing. I'm going to say for everyone listening, nothing illegal happened. I'm not lying. Nothing Mm -hmm. illegal happened. We were, you know, like study buddies who were very attracted to each other, Mm -hmm. but we didn't realize each other's age for a few weeks. And then when we did, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, we were friends on campus, but it kind of brings back that um, thing of for her being a teenager. Now in Kimmy's case, she has like not enough male attention in her life. Her dad is absent. So you can kind of see that, but it also brings this element of, Ooh, I'm mature now because I'm, you know, spending time with older guys and Mm -hmm. there's something just so predatory and also a little bit of a daughter surrogate. Like at first, Philip goes in and he's supposed to be like her boyfriend. And I like that he has this moral stance of he doesn't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. uh, so he kind of treats her like he would treat Paige, essentially. Like there is that episode is kind of really fucking creepy when you think about it with the record, the Mm -hmm. Yaz record, which, Mm -hmm. you know, Kimmy loves and puts on and it's like it would be a romantic moment but he tries to make it more like a daughter moment. And then he brings the record home for his daughter. So it's, it's very creepy, (laughs) but so creepy, you know, it's like he's torn at least, you know, I think if this would have been flipped and it was like a 16 year old boy or something and Carrie Russell, she just would have banged him right away. And she uh, sort of does. Right. I mean, if I remember correctly, she does sleep with the guy that Paige likes later on. Um, I just, she goes after, Oh God. And she ruins that kid's life because Paige says uh, he's going to drop out of school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So it's like, there is, of course there is the, creepy factor yeah between uh julia garner's kimmy and philip but there also is again from like a storytelling uh like perspective such economy in making all of these side characters like almost everyone that philip and elizabeth interact with showcase some other aspect of the conflicted nature of what they do Yeah, she's a weird mirror for them. mm -hmm. Yeah. Because with Martha, you do get Philip thinking, sort of play acting and being American, as you also get with Philip and Stan. I mean, they do become best friends. Oh my gosh. That's the relationship. I got to say that that kills me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like they Mm -hmm. do become best friends. And then with Elizabeth, you have Elizabeth and Paige. It's sort of wanting her daughter to be like her, but also a little bit horrified of wanting her daughter to be like her, her and Claudia again. It's like, am I going to grow up to be Claudia? Like alone, but still committed to the mission. Of course, her and the memory of Gregory, um, and so it's so, I just think it is so well done to have all of these different areas 
in which different aspects of who they are or who they perceive themselves to be or who they want to be, like all these different avenues Mm -hmm. for them to explore that. And then they still have their partnership, which I, you know, I thought about saying marriage first, but I really feel like it's their partnership for the majority of the series and then their marriage is sort of secondary um but then you do have this sense of like well here is this person who I have to trust with my life yeah all the time yeah I have to trust them with my life all the time and I have to trust that they are making the correct quote-unquote choice even when I'm not around to keep us safe and to keep what we're doing protected. And I think just the writing on the show is so well done because you do have these moments of very real conflict between them uh, about how to parent and how to run the business and how to interact with Stan. And you do have sort of the great larger arguments about like, the American way of life versus the Soviet way of life and sort of like what belief systems they're going to allow into their home. And so we've talked a lot about how great Carrie Russell is at that sort of like unyielding brittleness. But I always, I always I think, think he about, has the hardest part. And I, I think, think yeah, I, th- I always think about Matthew Reese's like, you respect God, but you don't respect your parents. Yes. Oh, so many different layers to that performance. <laughs> Philip goes through everything and you see these these things like pop out. He is uh, trying to be an American. Like I love I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking. But later on, the scenes of him line dancing and like having oh, so fun. Oh, he just so much fun. He is a people person. He needs yeah. human connection. Like people aren't transactional to him. Mm-hmm. He genuinely mm-hmm. cares about Kimmy. He cares mm-hmm. about all of these people. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really see that as much with uh, his wife. But mm-hmm. Matthew Reese, oh my goodness. I think um, he actually does have the hardest part. He, changes the most he feels the most Mm -hmm. conflicted um Mm -hmm. the scene in the finale in the Mm -hmm. parking garage i was watching an interview with matt solar sites today and matt called it like uh watching live theater because it's like it's basically like 10 minutes in -hmm. this parking garage i i read that noah emmerich who's also incredible on the show never gets enough praise i think because he's so so understated But I guess his back was out that day. And so he had to stand on concrete and do that over and over again in a lot of pain. And it's like, you never would have known, but um, just how heartbreaking it is because he's like putting his body between like, he is America and are they going to pass through it? And just the heartbreak of confronting each other as men and as best friends of, you know, this, this lie. And Mm -hmm. uh, it just, yeah. And that scene is so fluid because, again, it's like very small degrees of stated honesty. Yeah. Like Elizabeth and Philip are still playing the game in terms of what they actually share. Like Elizabeth yes. says they've never killed anybody, right? They're both aghast at yeah. the idea that they ever would have killed anyone. She yep. tells the truth that Philip has been 
out of this line of work like mentally he's been sort of checked out so that could still apply and then you you know you have Philip saying to Stan like I was just doing my job my job like you were just doing your job and I think that scene works on so many different layers in terms of addressing all the years that we spent with these characters and all the things that we watched them do to each other and do for each other and just there is a finality to that and that is like one of the one of the episode's last large scenes of dialogue because after that it just gets more and more quiet yeah like on the train ride with you two barely work yeah there are barely any words because the jennings are all sitting separately because they don't want to be together because like the apb is out on them um you have i think stan going to see henry and we don't see the conversation that they Mm -hmm. have we just see them together and so you're getting these moments that are based on silence and that feel like that sort of feel like a funeral. I mean, they feel like something they really do. Like something, like something has something died. ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like something ending. Something has died. Yeah. Um, and whether that's just as literal as the Jennings time in America, or if you go a step further, and it's the Jennings as a family because Paige yep. leaves them, and because they choose to leave Henry, or if it's just the Jennings at all. Mm-hmm. Because that's not their names and that's not who they are. And they leave the vestiges of their life behind and they go back to a place that they don't know or recognize anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just great. I think <laughs> the other thing that I had forgotten mm-hmm. was they had never married until right. later on yes. when they make that step. I completely mm-hmm. forgot that, you know, they've been basically given a forged marriage. Like you're with this mm-hmm. person, you're mm-hmm. now married, but they mm-hmm. hadn't gone through it. And I think their dynamic is so fascinating as the show goes on. We see flickers of, I mean, they understand that they're doing their job, but flickers right. of jealousy because they know that they're getting emotional sexual physical you know spiritual stuff from other people at mm-hmm. various times like she knows he he loves martha and he mm-hmm. he denies it to her when mm-hmm. she asks like it deflects like of course not but you know that that's true and then later when they're um going after the grain and she kind of develops a real heat and attraction for this hippie guy that she's with you can see Philip like being a little bit jealous and, mm-hmm. you know, and so their dynamic um, changes. I love when they decide to get married, but almost the step of them marrying feels like the beginning of the end. Yes. It feels yeah. like they have done something for themselves. Yes, finally. Instead. Yeah. Right. Which sort of feels like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and to go back to like a Michael Mann comparison because like why the hell not yeah. um like it's Michael us Mann's, yeah. yeah it's us we have to like Michael Mann's films are so romantic and tragic because of that romance it's like once yep. you admit that you care about someone more than you care about yourself like you are opening yourself up to, to risks yes. and threats that you cannot stop or take back 
standing and I think in the line of fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's so much of this. It's like once they exchange like their real wedding rings and call each other by their real names, it's like, oh fuck. <laughs> I know. Bad. It's, it's like um, it doesn't really feel beautiful. It just feels kind of sad. sad. Like, especially it's coming around the time that she's been given the poison pill because mm-hmm. she's supposed to do something on behalf of the Gorbachev plot. And um, it's when she's like completely, you know, emaciated and not looking like herself and just smoking. And so yeah. it, it almost feels a little like that. I mean, not that dramatic, but it, it does feel like by doing this, they're starting to say goodbye to their life in America and mm-hmm. goodbye to their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then along those lines, should we, should we talk about Oleg? Oh my God. I love the Oleg character. Yes, we should. I don't even know how to talk about him. How do you even talk about Oleg? So you sort of talked about him a little bit earlier. Oleg is like introduced as like a little bit of like, almost like a, it's like a Val Kilmer, like Iceman character. He's like cocky. He's very sure of himself. Yeah. And that's a deserved character. Yes. Yeah. Like he's not like, he's pretty good. I remember at his job. Like he's not amazing, like, but he's fine. Yeah, um, good looking, you know, yeah, good looking, it. handsome, knows oh, it, yeah, great at schmoozing, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, and so he sort of almost feels like a little bit of like a send up of the original Bond, sort of like, okay, oh, you guys I want like someone, you want someone like cocky and handsome and like sort of an asshole, we'll like give you Oleg. Yeah. Um, but then like the series just allows him to grow and mutate in the same way that it does with the Jennings and with Stan and with Paige. And he just takes on, it feels like more and more emotional weight as we fill in his backstory. Um, We learn that like his brother had died in the war with Afghanistan. And we learn more about like, the well-placed political father who sort of, if I remember correctly, I think that he didn't want Oleg to take the residential post. I remember there being some, Mm -hmm. yeah, like some amount of disconnect there. Like his mother who has basically been like consumed by grief for her lost son. And so you get the sense of Oleg as he's changing into someone who is probably still loyal to the idea of the Soviet Union, but no but, longer yep. quite so loyal to its current incarnation and like what it's doing. And I just think, like, I agree. I think about Martha in the grocery store and like eating her like potato in her I apartment know. all the time. But probably more I think about Oleg arrested rotting yep rotting in a cell like forgotten and i think that how many people throughout this show have been sacrificed yep yes and i think it's one of the best probably most even-handed moments of being like america also like did this it also locked up people and forgot them purposefully in the same way that the soviets did and i always sort of appreciated 
that willingness because like we love Oleg by the end right I mean oh my I, god I, 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 I haven't talked earlier. to anybody yeah like I haven't talked to anybody who's like no it's good that Oleg got locked up like everyone Not is like no. everyone's like it's terrible and then you have the scene where Arcady tells his father oh my god you know it it's an interesting we keep saying interesting i'm just gonna mm-hmm. that's, that's our word um okay it's an intriguing Ooh, comparison. Okay. <laughs> trying a different one mm-hmm. uh between him and philip and also him mm-hmm. and stan like those are the most obvious parallels mm-hmm. but later on you also start to see is this what page maybe would have become yeah and also the misha character which i found really oh, fascinating misha. yes philip has a, a son if you're listening and you don't remember and it kind of goes against all expectations and i love the show's bravery in doing that and mm-hmm. not letting him meet his dad no uh, yeah I no really really kind of great <sighs> oh yeah God. It's so it's it's on par with uh, Don Draper's brother Adam dying by suicide. Yeah, it's the same kind of this character could represent yeah. redemption for you and could represent sort of mm-hmm. a second chance at personhood, brotherhood, fatherhood, yeah. whatever. And like, you're not going to get it. Like, we're not going to give it to you. You like the character has to live with the knowledge that they were denied that. And we as an audience have to live with the knowledge that the character was denied that. And so there is that double layer of, I don't want to say tragedy again, but just that double layer of sort of that sense that in your life, there were things that you could not control and you can't you can't run it back there's no second chance for Mm -hmm. that and I think the Americans was a wonderful show at showing you that there might not be second chances in Soviet life or American life shout out F Scott Fitzgerald that once you're on a certain path yep once you're on a certain path, you're on that path and you might change within it. Like you might transform as an individual, but your, you know, your trajectory, your choices choices are locked and Oleg just, or your genetics. Yes. Yeah. Like Oleg just sitting in that cell, very, very tall, very handsome body. devastating yes it kills you (laughs) yes you know the final spots we see these people do really stay with you Mm -hmm. and uh it kind of seeing him like that I don't think you have watched Holt and Catch Fire yet Mm -hmm. but it reminds Mm -hmm. me of the Gordon character okay um how you're gonna think about that character I'll just say or think about other characters but um yeah there's a trajectory there that okay. you don't see coming. I know a lot of people also wanted us to talk about the music. So do you have any favorite I think moments? The music and the costumes. Yeah. Oh my I think gosh. that was yeah. that was very well done. I mean, again, I think it's a good reflection of what you can do with a budget if you're using it like judiciously and intentionally. And I sort don't of know how looking. much that music cost. Yeah. But like they did a great job. Oh my God. <laughs> and also just with considering like with a very strong intentionality, 
what your song choices are actually doing for the story. Because Tusk, I mean, just to go back with Tusk, like Fleetwood Mac is the simmering sexual chemistry, I love you, but I hate you band. Oh my gosh, they're the ultimate. They're the ultimate. So I think to introduce that thematic relevance with Tusk Mm -hmm. in the beginning, I think is just a banger of a choice. Peter Gabriel, I think, is also in the pilot episode. They use um, a lot of Peter Gabriel throughout the series. A lot of series. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Well, they use Fleetwood Mac again, the chain, when they're going to mm-hmm. kidnap someone. And that's a very exciting uh, musical selection as well. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like, it's tapping into, I think, the like sort of manic cocaine energy of the 80s. Yeah. These songs. So much. And incorporating them. But also, again, like, The Americans is very much a show, as we've been discussing this whole time, about that sense of like reflection and wistfulness Mm -hmm. and a little bit of like indulging yourself by looking back at things. And so then I think there are great things like I think they use uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. They use some Tears for Fears. Um, But again, I just think it's like these great 80s deep cuts that sort of speak to that sense of longing and claustrophobia at the same time. Yeah. I I think Mr. Robot did this very well later on, too, Mm -hmm. um, just with making these like deliberate uh, like 80s as a transitional decade song choices that did very well. Yeah. And it's funny too because I think I think a lot of people also want us to talk about like the wigs and the costumes. Mm-hmm. And like think- there's really not a lot you can say about it, although I mean they're incredible. Um yeah. for musical moments, the one that I mean, you know, you have to talk about the finale and the way they use you too. I mean, Bono's whale never hit like that before. No. But uh I think as you said, the manic cocaine energy of the eighties, one of my favorite might be my favorite Mm -hmm. uh, use is when Philip is killing someone on the airport shuttle bus. And Mm -hmm. this girl is listening to tainted love. Oh, I like that. And so it also just shows the solipsism of teenagers and Mm -hmm. that whole era. Like I was a kid in the eighties and nineties and you did listen to your Walkman. Mm -hmm. And um, I just love this, uh, duality of what's going on behind her versus that and I think that was what the Americans did really well is point counterpoint yep Mm -hmm. I also think that there's another like murder scene maybe set to golden earring I think you're right yeah I think so yeah so I think it was also like finding these songs that had the right kind of like rhythm and tempo yeah just using them to murder people (laughs) completely fucks you up yeah it almost felt like the music was the time when the americans let itself have fun like Mm -hmm. otherwise it was like very sort of like analytical and somber and contemplative but then it was like it felt like the soundtrack choices were what allowed the show to like loosen up a little bit and sort of find a little bit of like ironic fun in what it was doing yeah and I just, I love that. And maybe that's also how to discuss the wigs, which like were sometimes very bad. <laughs> you know what kills me though is Carrie Russell looked amazing no matter what color, 
it didn't cut. matter. It didn't no, matter. It didn't like matter. That bone structure. You're like, damn it. Yes. Yeah. Phillips. Yeah. Phillips were a little more rough. They were. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is so interesting. The the Clark of it all oh, when you would pose as Clark, Clark, and then when he actually removed his wig for her and showed just how handsome he is. It's Matthew Reese, and uh, also just it's kind of she's seen him naked, but that's like truly naked. Yeah. Oh, Jen, it makes me, (laughs) I keep saying that, but it makes me so sad. I mean, I I cannot think of like a more just gut-wrenching depiction of like intimacy, betrayal, yeah, Yeah. intimacy, betrayal, and loneliness than Martha. Yeah. Poor Martha. Martha, Oleg, you know, we really didn't talk about, um, the pastor of the church very much should we should do you we, want to what guy, do you want to talk about oh my gosh he is the most self-serving i think <laughs> they did a great job making him horrible they like really did like at first you think yeah he's a good guy he's a little off and yeah. then i love how later when she finds the diaries that's again it kind of reaffirms this idea of you don't really know people and um also who can she trust and Mm -hmm. so she's already been betrayed by her parents Mm -hmm. um she has a good relationship with stan but she's betraying him Mm -hmm. as far as adults go and then here's another one and Mm -hmm. so it's kind of going back to that theme but yeah Mm -hmm. he is a problematic character i love how they have to be so covert in their mm-hmm. relationship with him as they like try to get him away. And mm-hmm. I, I love the moment when he is missing on the trip because you do <laughs> think for a while, you're like, what the fuck did they do? Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. yes. And that was the kind of tension that the Americans yeah. excelled at, like setting up all these like dominoes that made you think like, Oh, surely they're going to kill this person. Yeah. And... Misha's going to meet the dad. They're going to kill right. this. And then they don't pay him off in the way. And then they don't exactly. They like zig when you expect them to sag. And yeah. the, the pastor is definitely a good example of that. And I also think probably I, maybe it's unfair to speak for the show but I think that it did a good job sort of underscoring the difference between what Elizabeth and Philip are doing in the sense of like diminishing themselves for what they perceive to be this like higher calling and then what you sort of have the pastor doing which also should arguably be for a higher power but he also is manipulative yeah Yeah, and like sort of spiteful and judgmental Mm -hmm. and it's not like just because he has sworn himself to god rather than the soviets that he has like judging better morality Mm -hmm. right it's like he is he is really like putting in page some ideas that i can understand why her parents would be like yo can you chill 
a little like Kimmy and the adult, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is a different dynamic. And I don't know about this guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I do love how they're like, look, we're going to just shuffle you off to South America. You got to go. perfect, right? <laughs> oh, my God. And he's such an egocentric, like, well, I'm going to teach the kids Spanish and yes. very self-important. And uh, yes. so, you know, he's just down there and he's meeting people and then, you know, writing a slam diary about them, essentially. Yes. <laughs> Oh writing like a mean girl's burn book that's what it struck should. me as when they were hanging up the uh images yes. what a a vivid picture of them hanging up all of that and uh yes yeah you're like uh you know he was just a bad dude yeah mm-hmm. and we haven't talked about that but i feel like the production design in general also was very yes. thoughtful and like nailing the 80s aesthetic the uh-huh. high-waisted jeans, the jackets, the drop shoulders, all that stuff. And then so also unflattering. just there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Only flattering on Carrie Russell. Only flattering I know. on her. Poor Holly Taylor. Like, those <laughs> pants know. they were giving her at the end. <laughs> One thing I appreciated being uh, an 80s baby was the esprit. You know, she mm-hmm. had her esprit sweatshirts and some of mm-hmm. that. Because that was what the cool girls wore mm-hmm. was a spree. And I always wanted it, you know, you mm-hmm. thumb through teen magazine. So I got in a spree bag and I thought it was, you know, the coolest thing ever. So I love all that. But as far as the fashion goes, yeah, not such a good decade. No. Mm-hmm. I love that you saw them rewear clothes. What yes. do you think? It's just one of those Mary Tyler small... Moore did that too. It's a, yes. it's important. Yes. Just one of those small things that you would see Elizabeth, in certain jackets and certain tops over and over again. And to your point of liking the self-help stuff, I do also like that the finale has a big, bold, they go to McDonald's one last time before getting on the train to flee to the Soviet Union. And so there are also those nods of like, well, these very specific American capitalist thing that they are indulging in eventually will also be over there. So there are some similarities of experience that they could not have anticipated, but that happen sort of in spite of what they have been fighting for. Like that final shot, I think, makes them seem very small. And what like, a good callback too with McDonald's to Tuan. Every mm-hmm. time we were seeing the Tuan character, they were bringing mm-hmm. over McDonald's to like pose as the perfect American family. Like how many times do we see them with fries? And, you mm-hmm. know, and that was like what it represented to Philip is a family at McDonald's. And so it's just so sad when you mm-hmm. see it uh, later on and he's looking at a family in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, again, to go back to Mad Men, the like burger campaign, Yes. It's like, come here and eat and whoever you're with is family. Mm-hmm. And that is just, I, you know, it's so interesting to consider the similarities between those two shows and sort of what they're interrogating about, like, the myths that we have told ourselves about various decades. Yeah. And it also the makes me think. of it all, <laughs> yes. our own existential yeah, dilemmas. Yes. Is this going to be a Roxana piece? You should write this. Oh my God, maybe. But it's also like, when I think about this decade, I'm like, I, I don't even know how you would make a show about now. Like, what do we even have? That's like yeah. a new unifying 
thing. Mm -hmm. So I also think that there's sort of a comfort to these period pieces that are like, okay, yes, they're Soviet spies. And yes, mid-century was bad for women and like Black people and people of color. But at least we could all have McDonald's. <laughs> it was a novel. Yeah, there's, there's like it was a novel iron, fun thing. Yeah, an irony and some wit mm -hmm. that's thrown in there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. oh. Is there anything else you want to add on to The Americans besides the fact that it is one of the best shows of the 2010s by far? Yeah. I think probably just that. I think it's one of the best shows of the 2010s. I'm very curious. It, you know, it still feels underwatched. And I don't know, I don't know if that's because potentially it was in the Mad Men shadow or if it was because HBO had like The Wire going on at the same time, I think. So I don't know if it's just because there were other more buzzy sort of prestige shows, but you know, it's been on Prime. Breaking Bad, I think. Yes, it's Breaking that time. Bad. Yeah. Yes. So it's like I think I, you know, I know that a lot of people love those shows, and that's fine. I but I also think, yeah. yes, I also think that if you're looking for something that, uh, unlike Breaking Bad, is a little more willing to complicate all of its characters. Yes, show I do you think, all of the dimensions. Yep. I do think that the Americans does that. And uh, starting on like July 29th, it's going to be streaming on Hulu as well. So hopefully that like Perfect. opens it up for people. Yeah. yeah, I watched it on Prime. So it's good mm -hmm. that it's going to be on Hulu. I'm glad you mm -hmm. were aware of that. Well, Roxana, mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much for doing this. You're the perfect person. I love having conversations with you because they're always so deep and, you know, and and just you're one of the greatest minds, I think, working right now in criticism. And so it's a real honor. Thank you. I mean, I don't agree with that. I think it's untrue, <laughs> but I will take it as well. And I will just say that I, you know, I always have a lovely time and I look forward to the next time. Yes. I'm going to let you choose the topic now because okay. I, I kind of chose this one and like, all 75 episodes we're just gonna go yeah <laughs> we're Rocks. gonna burn through them well, yeah see, this is what needs to happen you need to catch up on for all mankind or i need to watch okay. halt and catch fire well no you yep. did a halt and catch fire episode so you should catch up on for all mankind and then yeah. we can talk about that Reconvene. and its comparisons with the americans yeah let's do yeah. it and then we'll talk about it being interesting like eight thousand times it's yeah. so fascinating that it's interesting it's like wild it's really, yes <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing Thanks, that. Thanks, Jen. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. 
The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.